Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada Land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty. And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Vicky Machama. Hi. Canada Land contributor, um, writer of our wonderful Not Sorry newsletter. Yes, everyone should subscribe. Humor columnist. I read that somewhere. I'm officially a humor columnist now. It says so in the Toronto Star. Welcome to Canada Land Shortcuts. This episode of Shortcuts is brought to you by Covey, John Tobin, Jessica Kadeski, Alex Durlach, Bruce McCormack, Cody, John DeGray, A.J. Brazelden, and Nick taylor Vasey. Nick, why did you decide to be awesome? Canada Land dishes it out and is critical of a lot of different voices in the Canadian media landscape. And sometimes Canada Land gets things wrong, but one of the strengths, I think, of the organization is that it listens to the criticism, it broadcasts the criticism, and it's open to it. And uh, that, that's missing from a lot of, a lot of Canadian media, and uh, it's something that Canada Land does quite well. This episode of Canada Land is also brought to you by Giftagram. Vicky, 
Yes. Valentine's Day is coming up. Have you given any thought to your Valentine's Day gift plan? I don't have any Valentine's Day gift plans because nobody's going to buy me a gift. But if they were, there are so many on Giftogram that I want. There's a Kate Spade ice bucket that I think is the best thing on earth. Kate Spade ice bucket for Vicky. Make a mental note. People, you, know, you don't have to only give Valentine's Day gifts to somebody who you are involved with or want to be involved with. Like You can send a nice little something to a single friend so they don't feel like garbage on Valentine's Day. That is something that you can do. And those gifts exist on Giftogram. They're curated. There's like gifts for $22. And if you sign up, there is a $20, like $20 cash, basically, that Giftogram is going to give you if you use the offer code CanadaLand. So download this app to your iOS device, to your iPhone, to your Android device, and it's super easy. You pick the gift, you pick the person you want to send it to, you don't have to enter in their address. They just get a little note saying that you bought them a gift, and they say, oh, send it here to my work, send it here to my home. That part is taken care of. So check it out, Giftogram on Valentine's Day, whether or not you have a significant other or want one. If you wanted to send me, Vicky Mochama, a Kate Spade ice bucket, I would not be mad. What is your email address? We're going to see if we're going to get you this this ice bucket. Uh, you can email me, Vicky at CanadaLandShow.com. Giftogram. Check it out. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars and I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I'm not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. So, Vicky, I want to talk about the Kameshi trial. Okay. It's complicated for me. Tell us about it. Because uh, I'm involved in the reporting of this story, it complicates my role as a media critic to talk about the story. And I've kind of gone back and forth. But I want to jump in there when I feel like there is something factually wrong in the coverage that's out there. Something that because I was involved in reporting the story, I'm in a position to provide context or like a fact check 
And then sometimes I just can't help myself because of what happens in the conversation. And I guess I want to start there because like, it seemed like yesterday we had reached some kind of new understanding. All the headlines were, oh, it's a milestone. We believe women now. I believe women. I believe women. And a new day has dawned in this business of reporting on sexual abuse. And then you open up the paper today and witness credibility erodes, disturbing inconsistencies. And it's like we're back to square one. And I feel like I need to talk about that for a second, just to at least complete this line of logic that is being presented, that's being presented by Gameshi's lawyer, but that is, I think, being repeated by the press. And that line of logic, based on what happened on day one and day two of the trial with the first witness, is essentially that if this woman has inconsistencies in having trouble remembering what kind of car Gameshi drove 10 years ago, or whether or not she sent him an email at 3 a.m., then it follows logically that perhaps her recollection of being punched in the skull might also be compromised. And that just doesn't connect for me. What about that as a problem for you? Well, the problem for me is that I think that those incidental details, anybody would have trouble remembering, but an act of violence, an act of trauma is in a completely different category of memory. And I kind of just want, I wish that the Crown would present somebody to talk about memory. There's another part of it that doesn't work for me, which is the argument that Gameshi's lawyer is making that if this guy traumatized you so, why would you then send him a nice email? Mm -hmm. And if you have any understanding of abuse, how many abuse victims return to their abuser for clarity, for an apology? You know, it goes beyond that. And this is where the context of having reported the story comes in, because this is what he would do, okay? The allegations are that he would violently abuse women and then act like absolutely nothing had happened and smile and be very pleasant. And that was a trap because if the alleged victim would smile back, would also act like nothing had happened, then that would later be used against them. If they ever came to him and said, you know what, I might be going forward to talk about these things you did to me, or can you apologize for these things that you did to me? He would say, that never happened. You agreed to it if it did happen. And if it did happen, why do I have emails of you being nice to me afterwards? I mean, that that is gaslighting, right? Yeah, he used the classic tactics of an abuser at every stage where he was kind to them and then he used his public image as cover for all his horrific actions. That's it. And kind of returns to this like consensus reality. I'm a nice guy. And then they have to challenge in there. Did that actually happen? Why is he being so nice? That was always his tactic in their abusive relationships. So now that is the tactic of his lawyer. And then for the media to repeat as fact that her credibility has eroded. Mm-hmm. as the Toronto Star is reporting today, I mean, they're gaslighting her in public. You know what I mean? It's- yeah, I get that. I just think I'm just going to be a devil's advocate for sure. a bit. There is a certain element where they just have to cover the trial. And the trial is going to bring up issues of whether a witness is credible because judgments are based on whether or not you can trust the witness's testimony. So I think to a certain extent, the media does have to cover that on the off chance something else happens down the line. They have to say, well, we did report that there was issues with credibility in the first place. Totally. They have to report what happens in the courtroom. That is their job to report on that. There is a distinction. We see this new hashtag, use the right words. I think it's beyond just using the right words, which they should do and be thoughtful about, do you describe somebody as a victim or as a survivor? But to say you're agreeing with the defense when you say that her credibility has been compromised, you are making the defense's case. And that to me is astonishing given everything that we know now. Yeah. So do you think you'll be able to stay removed from it if it's 
you have issues with the logic that underlies a lot of the coverage and reporting, but you want to address the facts. It's a bit complicated. So I'm trying to constrain myself to like the media side of it, but then there's things where it gets into factual areas. So I've been asked about this thing that happened on the stand where the witness brought into question Kevin Donovan's story, which I shared a byline with him on. So I'm getting asked about that. The witness said to this detail, when she first sat down in the car, was that when Gameshi assaulted her, according to her story, or did it happen after they were kissing? And Donovan, on a story that I shared a byline with him on, reported that it immediately happened. Mm -hmm. And she went further than saying that he just got that fact wrong. On the stand, she said that he twisted her story. And she said that as far as she understands, he gets a lot of things wrong. So people are coming to me and saying, do you know anything about that? You're on that story as well. Can you provide any clarity? And did the Toronto Star misrepresent her story? So I think that there's no reason why I wouldn't just be upfront and honest about that. And the answer is that I don't know. And I'll provide a little timeline here. There was one woman who first approached me. Soon there were four women based on my independent investigation. When I went to the star, I had those four women alleging different types of abuse. Those were the four women that the first story that Donovan and I co-wrote, those were the four women that we reported on. And of those four women, there were two who Donovan re-interviewed. And there are two at that point who he had never spoken to. After that first story came out, four more women came forward. Lucy de Couture came forward on the record to me. Another woman came forward whose identity I know, but wanted to remain anonymous to me. And then there are two other women who came forward through Donovan. I don't exactly know if they came to him or if he found them, but I never spoke to those women. So what the witness told Donovan, I never heard. I've, I've never spoken to this woman. So those are the eight women of the two stories that I was involved in reporting on. And one other thing I want to clear up that I've been reading here, there, and everywhere is that there were eight women who came forward. There were eight women who came forward. No, there were many more women who came forward. Of course, there was Reva Seth who came forward in Huffington Post. There are a total, I believe, of 23 allegations against Gameshi. So this is a lot more people and not just women who have made allegations of one kind or another about Gameshi. Correct. So when Donovan was asked about this outside of the courthouse, what do you have to say about this allegation that you misrepresented her story? He denied it completely. He said, I feel bad for her, but I reported what she told me. And then Rosie DeMano, his colleague at the Toronto Star said, Donovan never gets it wrong. That's a very stupid thing to say. That's a very bold statement to make. Everyone gets it wrong. Yeah. Okay. Donovan gets it wrong. I've gotten it wrong. The only way he could know for a fact that he got it wrong is if he has like an email from her or like a recording of what she told him. And if he does, he hasn't said that to my knowledge. So he could have said, you know what? I tried my best. I, as I remember it, that's what she told me. I try to report as accurately as I can. I can't say with absolute certainty. That's not what he said. He stood by his reporting. And in doing so, he contributed to the defense's argument. He contributed to damaging her credibility. This woman who came forward and entrusted him with her anonymity and with her story. And now here he is saying things that add credibility to Gameshi's side of things. So I just hope that he knows that for a fact. Yeah, I think in the coverage leading up to the Gameshi trial, there's been lots of summaries about what would happen and what we might see in court. But there hasn't been a fuller conversation about what it's like to be a victim and to have to testify and that people seek to poke holes in what might be a shaky memory about what happened. And so I think there's a basic failure to understand how shaky memory can be around these things. There's a very similar behavior to PTSD, where people's memories get shaken up because it's very traumatic. And so I think the media in some ways has failed to get people to understand what that experience is like. 
I agree. And I feel like the stakes here are really high. I mean, I can tell you also just speaking from the context of having been involved in the reporting that there are women who are the original sources who are looking at what's happening and saying, that's why I didn't go to the cops. And thank God I didn't go to the cops. And there are thousands of more women I imagine out there watching these women get challenged on the stand and making up their minds that they're not going to go forward because of that. And people keep saying like, well, this is just how it has to be. This is how the system works. It's not Gomeshi's lawyer's fault. Challenging their credibility is what you do in a contest of credibilities. And I get it. Like, this is not a sophisticated legal strategy. You know, this isn't making a murderer. This isn't like, it's not that interesting. It's a blunt instrument. You go in there and if the person gave four interviews, you try to find one little detail that's different. And then you infer that because they can't remember that one little detail, that everything must be a lie. And if that satisfies you, or I guess if that satisfies the judge, that one thing actually has any bearing on the other and it introduces reasonable doubt, I don't even, I don't even, like, it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I think the coverage might have a chilling effect on a number of women coming forward with their stories. And I think that's where the media has to be careful and thoughtful. I wish the media were being more careful. And the last thing I want to say is that as everyone was live tweeting this, as all the reporters were in there, I feel like there was not enough responsibility about protecting the identity of the witness. And there was one reporter who I'm not going to mention this time who tweeted highly identifiable information that could easily reveal the witness's identity. They later deleted it. They caught their mistake. But please, if you are covering this, this is high stakes for the people who are up there. It's high stakes for everybody who's thinking about coming forward. It's not worth it if you're just being a dumb pipe and just writing down everything you hear. Like, it's not just choosing the right words. Please use your brain and be thoughtful about what you're reporting. Vicky, can we lighten it up a little bit? Yeah, let's definitely do that. <laughs> I wanted to talk to you. I wanted you to co-host today because uh, a lot of journalists been talking about you last week. Literally tens of journalists have there been talking about me. <laughs> do you want to say what happened? Uh, Yeah. So as everyone knows, I read a humor newsletter, which means that sometimes on Twitter, I'm occasionally funny. This all came together and annoyed the Toronto Star's Heather Malik. She wrote a column... I don't know what the column's about, really, but in the middle paragraph, she takes an issue with <laughs> Canada Land and myself because I wrote a tweet saying, if anybody wants to email me any rumors or gossip, then I gave my email address, uh, let me know, or I'll just make some up. And in the same week, I had also written in the newsletter, today I discovered we have libel insurance. So next week's going to be amazing. All this came together and really annoyed her. She wrote it in the article. I think her issue was that Canada Land might just make stuff up for fun, which I don't know how she got there, but she did. Without saying that you're our humor writer. I'm just really concerned that she's out there reading my tweets literally, just taking all of it literally. Like when I say I'm a Darkwing Duck parody account, she's just like... <laughs> Wow, this journalist is really into Darkwing Duck. Here's what I found so funny is that she went on to say, like, journalists sometimes get things wrong, but they hate getting things wrong. We make every effort to not get things wrong. We don't go out and say that we're going to go and get things wrong and print things that aren't true. And in that article, she got something wrong. She wrote that Canada Land said that it was going to print incorrect things. Yes. And you said that on your Twitter account. And I brought that to the attention of uh, Kathy English, the Toronto Star's public editor. And they had to issue a, it was a correction, but they called it a clarification just so they didn't have to call it a correction. But in the very article where she was grandstanding about the, the virtue of getting it all right, there was a pretty serious, like you can't attribute to Canada land 
what one of its contributors says on their own Twitter account. I can't attribute to the Toronto Star what Scott Vroman, who does funny satirical videos for the Toronto Star, says in jest Mm -hmm. on his own private Twitter account. It's just not true. I didn't understand how she would connect those things. So Jane, our editor, retweeted one of my jokes about making stuff up. And so she said that was tantamount to Canada Land saying they're going to make stuff up. A retweet is not an endorsement, Heather Malik. But it's interesting to see how these narratives shape up and then like the broken telephone of it. Because then I'm listening to the CBC on Saturday morning and this is what I hear. I just want to read you something that someone who writes the newsletter for Canada Land tweeted. Reminder to email me with any rumors and gossip you might have. I might also make some up. Today I learned I have libel insurance, so next week's newsletter is going to be amazing. Now, maybe that was partly a joke, but it, it's it's no laughing matter. And that would never happen at an organization like the Toronto Star or the Globe and Mail or the CBC. Kelly, what do you think of that? You think that was maybe a joke, Marcia? <laughs> okay. I mean, of that was clearly <laughs> tongue in cheek. And yes, they do things very differently at Canada Land, and sometimes they get things wrong. One of the things that has impressed me about Canada Land is when they get things wrong, how quickly they hustle to try to make it right. But get the it way, right to the begin way with. That they're <laughs> right. Well, I think that that's a worthy goal. None of us get it right to begin with all the time but, and but he doesn't have the same checks and balances that other people do but if he does that too many times he'll lose his supporters and he'll be off the air so there is accountability but there. kelly the challenge that an independent first of all kelly tohill is awesome she's fantastic and again it's this like twisting of things like heather malick i can actually believe that she did not appreciate that you are our satirist she might have missed that But Marsha Lederman there, I think there was like intentionality there and maybe Vicky was joking. So what is that where you seize upon this perceived weakness or opportunity to drag us through the mud? And it's really interesting to me that both the Malik column, which was all about how we are doing to journalism, what Uber is doing to taxis, I guess. I think that's fantastic. If we're going to be as (laughs) profitable as Uber, let's do it. Let's do that to journalism. I wish. And the Lederman thing, which was all about like, Uh, in the context of our newspapers dying and then she somehow sees us as part of what's killing newspapers or we're not as like she was making this argument about how we really need serious rigorous journalism long-term investigations professionals and whatnot and we're held up as oh but there's this other thing along with like oh that buzzfeed and I just think we got to grow up. Like this was an argument that they were having in the American media in like 2005 that Huffington Post or BuzzFeed was the threat, or Gawker, that like gossip was the threat, or listicles were the threat. The threat is Google and Facebook. The threat is that the advertising market has cratered and isn't funding that kind of journalism anymore. That kind of journalism isn't threatened by Canada Land. Canada Land is one tiny little example of a way to right now do sustainable journalism, and we're doing a different kind of journalism. But it's so weird and counterproductive to look at us and other small startups as like the enemy when yeah, I, I, like, I feel like they need to actually like look like, well, are they doing something that we can learn from? Or you know, yeah, it's bizarre. I mean, I've always thought this, and actually, there's a great Heather Malick column from two weeks ago about why it is Canada doesn't have a rich humor landscape. We don't have the Onion, and we don't have the Daily Show. We don't have a lot of those things. I mean, a handful of CBC shows, but it's all just so humorless and hectoring and scolding, and people don't learn that way. Yeah. There is definitely an audience that responds to being told the news in a funny way. And that's what I try to do. And so why not do that? That's what BuzzFeed does. That's how a lot of young people ended up voting in the election because there were sources that told them the news in their way. 
And I, I really kind of resent, like, I found myself initially defending this on the basis of like, guys, that's my humor writer. And she wasn't even writing on our platform when she said some of those things. And then I have to kind of check that and be like, have I thrown Vicky under the bus? Like, what if Vicky wants to do a piece of journalism for us? Like, I do humor stuff for Candleland and journalism. Our audience gets these distinctions, you know? Even if Heather Malik doesn't, like, I resent the implication that somehow you're now tainted as a source of good information because you made a joke that was obviously a joke. It was so obviously a joke. And that was the second time I'd made that joke, to be clear. The first time I made that joke, it was in a chain of jokes. And one of the people that I suggested I would possibly libel was you, Jesse. Like, I was asking for specific gossip on you so I could negotiate a pay raise. You have to read that chain and take that seriously? <laughs> I mean, I can't fathom. Well, I take that very seriously. There's no joking matter. You know what? We've now successfully destroyed any humor possible. It is, it's dead. <laughs> this is why. And that's why we can't have nice things. That's why we can't have funny humor in Canada. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad you had me on. I have a lot to say. Most of it I can't say. But... I really just don't want to give this any more attention. Like I said to you, don't give anybody the oxygen of attention who you wouldn't want to give the oxygen of oxygen. So I'm over it. I'm almost over it. One more thing. <laughs> the Malik column made this crazy argument. It's totally unrelated to any kind of personal beef, but like, well, maybe it's not. The, <laughs> she, she was like going out like, oh, the gig economy. The gig economy is great. Airbnb and Uber are great until you're the one gigging. And I guess that is supposed to be clever, but it's based on some weird entitlement idea. Like I get, cause I have to, a job for life was never in the cards for most of us. That's yeah. why we're trying to figure out some other way of doing this. It's not cause we're like, we hate the fact that other people had good journalism jobs for life and we don't want them to have those jobs. Like we're just trying to figure out something that will pay our bills and let us do this work. Yeah. It's not the gig economy is terrible. It's the economy period is terrible. All of us have to do this cobbling of a career from different sections of the world. So yeah, I'm going to write humor, and at some point I'll write real journalism, and at some point I will write essays. I'm going to do all these things, and if it's a problem to a number of people in the newspaper industry, well, that's on them. They should just give me a real job. Well, you know, they only care when they feel personally threatened. Like, Heather Malik never cared about the gig economy when Toronto Star was filled with contractors who were gigging for them, or when contributors like Scott Roman or even people who've been working there for years are essentially gig employees. That never bothered her when they were her colleagues who didn't have the same job security that she does. It's only now that the newspaper industry is cratering, and those people feel threatened in their lofty positions that they're like, what is this gig economy? This is it's no good. This prime minister won election on the promise of openness and accountability. He even promised accessibility. Well, we're going to call him on that this weekend again. How? We've invited 10 Canadians from across the country, all with different issues on their mind, to sit across from Justin Trudeau one-on-one, -on -one, face to face, and ask him about those issues. We're just really kind of wanting to know the policies that you're putting forth, like the, you know, the tax break and the new child benefit. Are they gonna be solid, you know, systemic programs that are gonna be there in the future for our kids? I think we do have, you know, high hopes in your cabinet and your government, but I think it's also a matter of managing expectations. So I guess say, yeah, I am scared and concerned about the future, and I just wanna know what your plan is to save the oil field. Vicky. Yes. I kind of embarrassed myself. Why? I kind of embarrassed myself uh, to Peter Mansbridge. <laughs> what did you do? <laughs> oh, here's what happened. Um, so I got some information that the PMO has been really bullying the press on the terms of how they would provide interviews with Justin Trudeau. And they've been demanding town hall type 
interviews only. You know, like this kind of thing where he's sitting down with regular Canadians, formats where he was going to look good, where he, he's really good at working a crowd. And the, I've heard from journalists, like, it's really difficult. You want to do like an accountability interview with Justin Trudeau, but there's like 60 audience members and Trudeau comes and he works the crowd. He does selfies with them. He's hugging. And then you're just like feeling smaller and smaller and smaller as you're supposed to grill this guy who's beloved. And then he sits down next to you and you're supposed to give him this hard interview. And those are the kind of th interviews that Kate Purchase has been demanding and getting from McLean's. And then we got like uh, this other one where he gave an interview on like Bell Let's Talk Mental Health Day, where it's a very touchy feely thing where he's like behind a cause that everybody can get behind about mental illness, talking about his mom. What these are not are rigorous grillings from serious political journalists. He did sit down one-on-one -on -one with Matt Galloway. He's a fine broadcaster, but not the guy who's going to like go over the TPP with him. He sat down with Paul Wells, who can do that sort of thing, but again, the town hall format. Right. So I had this information and then the CBC thing comes out where it's like 10 Canadians, they're going to interview. So here's how I embarrassed myself. I saw Mansbridge, you know, we're going to hold him to account. And I, I quickly shot off an email to Mansbridge just to fact check to say, hey, this this format, like, did the PMO not want to give you a face to face? And uh, Mansbridge got back to me very quickly. Was it just like a laughing gif? No, he got back to me an hour later. He said, sorry for the delay, but I'm home with bronchitis. You know, we, we're down like that. We just chat. Oh, he said. I know. And, and he said, no, as a matter of fact, they gave me uh, a 25 minute sit down interview in front of an audience. In addition to the 10 Canadians thing, which was our idea. And I said, oh, this sit down interview, like, is that set to broadcast sometime soon? And he goes, Jesse, have you not watched the broadcast? <laughs> And I didn't. I, I watched online where they, they they split up the interviews with the 10 different Canadians. Yeah. And I did not realize that there is a sit-down interview between Mansbridge and the Prime Minister. So that was a silly thing that I did to myself. But I still, uh, you know, not to make it all about me, feel that there's something worth discussing here, Vicky. Yeah. Where I feel like there's a very different but equally effective way that this prime minister is managing the press. Harper was adversarial with the press. He was only going to give them this one sit down interview at the end of the year, but at least he sat down mm -hmm. with a political journalist and answered their questions. And I feel like there is this very warm and fuzzy leveraging of Trudeau's star power to put him in context where he's going to be very safe. And I kind of feel like the press is doing a bad job of telling the public that these are the terms that we're being asked when Mansbridge says, we are going to hold him to account, why not also give us some kind of explanation if, in fact, there were any kind of demands made about format? Mansbridge yeah. says there were no editorial demands being made, but he wouldn't answer the question about whether they demanded any particular format. I know that they are demanding format stuff, town hall stuff from everybody else. So I just want to know that. If Paul Wells is sitting down in front of a crowd, I think that that just needs to be made explicit so that we can have some idea as to how this administration is doing that. I think there's probably a sense amongst the journalists who have access to the prime minister, that to a certain extent, they're going to give this government what they want in order to be able to ask them the tougher questions later when there is more policy behind what they're doing. Because at the moment, it's been four or five months. And so there's questions to be asked, but a lot of them are going to be deflected to, well, that was the last government. So in the meantime, I think they're going to let the PMO stoke everyone's fuzzy little feelings. But that's because later on, when they come with the tough questions, they'll be able to ask them and get them. I hope so, because it's not like there aren't tough questions to be asked right now. Justin Ling at Vice just had a scoop. He got some information, which is funny, you know, journalists getting leaks from conservatives now. But these letters that um, Trudeau's people sent around asking people to step down, they sent them to judges, which is like a serious uh, potential ethical breach, saying, you know, you were appointed by Harper, please step down. They're not supposed to mess around with the judiciary. 
Um, there are questions about TPP. If anyone read Jim Belsilli in the Globe and Mail, like I am really concerned about this trade agreement. There's questions about the Saudi arms deal. Like there's some stuff you can already get into with this administration. There's questions about like you're talking about what you're going to do for indigenous people. And at the same time, they're getting really warm and cozy with John Furlong. And they're they're ignoring requests from those accusers of John Furlong to take him off this government affiliated on the podium. There's all kinds of things that if I had 10 minutes with Justin Trudeau, I would love to ask him. Uh, and we're, we're, there's just space. You know, you're seeing in the media, there's space between those tough questions and the actual sit down interviews. Yeah, absolutely. That's the thing I noticed with the interviews which I guess if it was just supposed to be a feel-good exercise, I was in for it. I was down to do it because I think we haven't had this from a prime minister before and it's nice to have had him be accessible to regular Canadians. But the interviews were so frustrating because people would get in there and it was, oh my God, it was like American Idol. So they're coming in with their sob stories and just like genuflecting before the king and telling him the stories and asking him what he's going to do. And what he gave back was just standard political nonsense. It's just like, oh, our government's working hard. The cabinet's working on this issue. And I know because I used to live in Montreal, I would talk to people who couldn't get jobs. He wasn't listening and he wasn't asking questions and he wasn't really participating in what they were saying to him. So if it was a feel-good exercise for me, it didn't feel good. It felt bad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they were nervous and they, I think, I think that those like citizen interviewers did their best and they brought up s- serious issues, but he really did his like, I feel your pain kind of routine. And like, this is a job for a journalist. This is like, you got to sit there and say like a specific policy matter. If he evades the question, you ask it again, you do it again. There's a way to do that. And this idea that Mansbridge is putting forward that this is somehow holding him to a greater level of accountability, putting him in front of regular everyday Canadians. That's a bit off. Yeah, I mean, he spent the last year in front of regular everyday Canadians. He knows exactly how to deal with them. That's his strength. He's a good retail politician. I haven't seen the rigorous interview. I haven't seen it yet. I mean, even during the campaign, I don't know if I saw it. No, I don't think I feel that he's been held to a higher standard. Vicky Machama, thank you. You're welcome, Jesse. That is your Canada Land Shortcuts. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me always at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read them all and I respond when I can. We're on Twitter at Canada Land. Vicky, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at Vimochama. They can email me vicky at canadalandshow.com. And if you have any complaints, my Twitter handle is also at jesse brown. <laughs> you can also sign up for Vicky's newsletter, Not Sorry, which is so funny and it is a work of satire, people, at canadalandshow.com. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. The next episode of Canada Land will be up on Monday. The next episode of Canada Land Commons will be up on Tuesday. I make this show with Kevin Sexton. We would very much like to make an arts and culture podcast for you, so please support us. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada Land, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures, and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. 
It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 